down. Delia is going to come and read to us, and Neil is our speaker this morning. Our Bible reading this morning is from 1 Samuel, chapter 16, beginning at verse 1, and can be found on page 287 in the Church Bibles. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. But Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived at Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? Samuel replied, yes, in peace. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinabad and made him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then made Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord has not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse answered. He is tending the sheep. Samuel said, Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Samuel then went to Ramah. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning, everyone. It's the start of term, the start of a new sermon series. I hope you're excited. It's exciting uh, for me to start this sermon series on... King David. 
King David, a man who we can look at and see ourselves in. King David, a man who had a heart that was open to God. There's something about David that's common to us all. His desire to live for God alone, yet his capacity to mess up in a spectacular way. I hope that resonates with you as much as it resonates with me. David is arguably one of the most important people in history, up there with Julius Caesar and Cleopatra, with Alexander the Great. David starts a royal dynasty, a royal line that God promises will never end. And we believe that Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise because Jesus' reign goes on and on and on. Jesus, the son of David, And Jesus and David have got lots of similarities, lots of overlap between them. Both were born in Bethlehem, both identified as shepherds, both sung about in the Psalms, both betrayed and humiliated at the end of their lives. And perhaps most importantly, both anointed with God's Holy Spirit. David lived around a thousand years before Jesus, so that's 3,000 years ago. There's some archaeological evidence to his reign. If you go to Jerusalem, they'll point out the part of the city that they say was originally built by David. And David is incredibly important to the Jewish people. His star is their symbol, the star of David. David is the one who puts Jerusalem on the map. And yet David has lots of different sides to his character. He's a king, but he's a prophet. He's a warrior, but he's a musician. He's a politician and a poet. You've got all of these different things there in David. He's not a perfectly produced superhero. He was a great man, but we know that he also had his faults and his failings. And even as we admire him, we can see how an earthly king will always fall short of God's glory. His is an amazing rags-to-riches story, but then there's that awful, embarrassing affair with a married woman that we'll get to later on in term. So David's story is found mostly in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel at the near the beginning of the history books of the Old Testament. There's also some parts of David's story in 1 Kings and 1 Chronicles. So you may want to just have a look through those books to just get an idea of David's story. But as we start today, we start with this story of hope and redemption, a story of how God works through outcasts and extraordinary sinners. David begins as a nobody. He's got seven big brothers. He's the youngest of eight. And so each one of those seven big brothers has more chance of making it in the world that David lived than David ever has. If you said to David, there's a chance you'll be king, he would have laughed at you. David is working in the fields, doing the dirtiest, degrading job that anyone can. He's a shepherd with the sheep. He's not much higher than a slave would be. This is the worst job he's been given. He's a lonely kid on a field on a hillside, 
little more than a slave, completely unrecognized and ignored when Samuel comes to town. If you were to ask David, how much are you worth at that moment of his life, he would have shrugged and said, I guess not much. But what happens shows that it's not what David thinks that counts. It's what God's plan is for us that counts. And God has different ideas about how much we're worth. So if I was to ask you this morning, how much do you think you are worth? On a scale from naught to 100, where would you put yourselves? Over here at naught or somewhere around here in the middle or all the way up here at 100? How much would you say you're worth? And you might say, well, how are you measuring that? Is it worth to society or our city? Is it worth to my friends or my family? Where would you, just think of a number now. How much do you think you are worth? The fact is that we're surrounded by a world that is always judging us, always telling us how much we're worth. From Britain's Got Talent to our social media posts, the world has an unspoken point system that we all live with, that we all absorb. The world defines worth by wealth and power and appearance. Their point system might include how much you earn or how big your house is, how many great holidays you go on. It might include the car that you drive or Perhaps the yacht that you have parked in the harbour. It might be the trainers you wear or where you go for coffee. The world has a way of measuring our worth. And that judgment can be crippling to lots of people. We uh, met a, a secondary school teacher when we were on holiday one time. And she was telling us about the teenage girls in her class. And when they go out on a Friday or a Saturday night, they put on the outfit that they're going to wear and then they take a selfie of themselves, uh, perhaps it's in the mirror, of their outfit. And then they post it to their friends. And unless they get enough likes to that picture, they won't go out or they'll have to change their outfit. Their whole evening depends on the approval of their peers. That's how much they're worth, whether they get enough likes to that photo that they post. And that puts an incredible weight on people, doesn't it? If you're always subject to everybody else's judgment, it's one of the greatest problems in our society today that people feel they have no chance of achieving the goals that our society sets before them. No way of access to the things that will make them happy. It's like we're in an endless audition. We have to judge everyone around us and everyone is judging us. And all the world can offer us is superficial shiny stuff that pretends it will make us secure. That's the lie that many people have accepted and swallowed. But the truth that we find in Jesus sets us free. How much are you really worth? Let's see what this story of David can teach us. And first, uh, we need some context for what's happened. So 
the people of Israel have demanded a king. They want a king to lead them out into battle. They want a king so that they will be like other nations. And Samuel, who's the prophet and the judge, he says, don't do it. God is enough for you, people of Israel. He will watch out for you. He will protect you. You just need to follow him. But in the end, the people win and the people choose Saul, who is the biggest and the strongest and the best looking of any of the people of Israel. But Saul is flawed and arrogant. And Saul disobeys God three times so that in the end, God rejects him. And so we arrive at this chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 16. And Samuel, who is an important person, is now afraid of Saul because Saul knows that he's been rejected. Saul knows that his power is hanging by a thread. It could perhaps remind us of a leader today who, when someone challenges him, will kill that opponent rather than face that challenge. And that's the threat that Samuel has. He's afraid that Saul will kill him if he goes to anoint a new king. But Samuel does go secretly to Bethlehem to anoint a new king from the sons of Jesse. And those sons parade before Samuel. And God tells Samuel that the Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The most important thing about us is our heart. It's a bit like a catwalk, what happens next. And the seven sons parade before Samuel. And Eliab, he struts his stuff, but Samuel turns him down. The crowd probably would have gasped. Surely it's Eliab who Samuel's going to choose, but he doesn't. So next, Abinadab gets his chance, and he must think, I've got this. They didn't pick Eliab. I must be the one. And he walks past Samuel, and still there's no golden buzzer. The tinsel doesn't fall down. He's not the chosen one. So Shammah, the third son, comes, and he gets the thumbs down, and all of the sons walk before Samuel. At this point... David is so significant and worthless, he's not even been included in the process. He's still out there in the sun with the smelly sheep. God knows this, and Samuel finds it out when he asks, have you any other sons? So David gets called. I wonder what David felt like when he realizes that his dad hasn't even bothered to include him in this audition. But David comes. David comes and instantly he's recognized. The Lord says to Samuel, anoint this one. So Samuel takes this horn of oil and he pours it over David's head. It's not a little dabbing with a finger or a thumb. It's a whole horn of oil poured over him. uh, An event that's going to be remembered by his brothers, by this community, by his tribe. David is filled with the Holy Spirit from this moment on. And this makes a difference in his life. This is how God works. We look at the stuff that we can see, but God looks at the heart. And David understands this as nobody before him has. David goes on to write Psalm 139. In that Psalm, David says, you have searched me and you know me. 
You have created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Search me, O God, and know my heart. David sees that it's the heart that matters. He knows that it's our hearts that God wants. And after the failure of Saul as king, something new had to happen, didn't it? There had to be a new direction. Now God gets involved and God picks David because he looks at his heart. It's not because he's the biggest and the best. That's not how God picked the people of Israel. They were the least They were the smallest of all the nations. But it says, it was because God loved you and kept his oath that he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out of slavery. This is how God works. He looks at the heart. He looked at the heart of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And he saw their hearts, hearts that were open to him, hearts that he could work with. God's love flows without stopping. He wants to reach each and every one of us, no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, no matter how big or small or rich or poor or strong or weak, God wants us. Perhaps it was because David had spent all that time alone in the fields that his heart was open to God. It's all about his heart. So this is what this passage says amongst everything... uh, uh, over and against everything else, that our worth is not defined by our external value, what the world can see. Our worth is defined by the love that God has for us. Back in April, a pair of Lionel Messi's football boots were sold in an auction. They weren't new boots, they were old boots, boots that he'd worn, and they sold for £125,000 because they'd been worn by Lionel Messi. Does anyone recognise the piano? Who owned that piano that was sold this week? Freddie Mercury Mercury owned that piano and it sold for £1.7 million because it was owned by Freddie Mercury. The value of the thing is dependent upon the owner. And the thing is, we belong to God. So our value doesn't depend on our external appearance. It doesn't matter if we've been used and tossed away by the world. Our value depends on God being with us and God being in us and Jesus dying for us. He loved us enough to die for us. That makes us valuable. Those boots are a thousand times more valuable because of their owner. We are more than a thousand times more valuable because we belong to God. Do you see that? Do you hear that? Do you accept that? That's the reality that this world will always fight against telling us. The world will tell us that we need another pair of uh, of trainers. They'll tell us that we need to, a new sofa or a new, another holiday. But our value is defined by the fact that God loves us. God anointed David not because he was extraordinary, not because he had a great CV and had done lots of wonderful things. He was the eighth son, a smelly shepherd. He had nothing going for him, but God loved him and God anointed him. And once he was owned by God, he was immeasurably 
valuable. Jesus is the king who chooses to be a servant, who takes on humility and bears rejection and humiliation. Jesus turns the point system upon its head. He evened out the playing field. He left no one out. Jesus picks the weird and the awkward, the fragile and the failures. He chooses us and loves us and sends us out to change his world. That's called grace. We are saved by grace. We're no longer tethered to the recognition or results that this world demands that we live for. We're set free from all of those expectations, that analysis. We're loved because we're, def- we're, de- we're, we're valuable because we're loved. We're loved because God loves us. There's no other reason for him to love us. He just loves us. That's the way it is. It's part of why I love being part of Friday Fridge. Because on those two hours on a Friday evening, the people who come are given value and dignity. That's not the way the world sees those people who come to Friday Fridge. But for us who serve them, they're our guests. And we try to treat them with respect. We make sure that they know that we're pleased to see them. They're valuable because God loves them. Or those immigrants on the boats that cross the channel, people want to keep them away. They want to push them out again. They're valuable because God loves them. How do we apply this to our lives? We see that it's the least amongst us who will be the greatest. It's not about striving to climb on anyone else's shoulders. It's about accepting that God loves us and we're precious because of that. I wonder how you scored on that line. Where did you put your worth? Did you think about some other people who were more worthy than you? Did you think about your faults and failures and that pushed you down this way? God loves us and our worth depends on his love for us. Our worth is defined not by our external value but by the love that God has for us. That's what this story of David shows us. David was a nobody. He had a heart that was open to God. That's what God wants, our hearts to be open to him. And if they are, then he will come and anoint us with his Holy Spirit because Jesus died for us so that that might happen. There was a time when I struggled to think that God could use me. When I was a vet before I was a vicar, um, I fought against this calling that God had on my life. There was a time when I went to pray in um, uh, a little uh, convent where some nuns were. And uh, by God's incidence, there was a nun there who I'd met once before. And she came into the room just as I was praying. And she said, what are you doing here? And I was thinking that myself. And she said, what are you doing here? And I said, I've come to pray about whether I change from being a vet to being a vicar. And she said, well, you should, because you've got the heart for it. And I really didn't think I had, but she saw it. We need to see in each other the heart to serve God. And it may be that his plans for you are right where you are right now, at your work or 
at home or in school or with family and with your friends. God's got a plan for you, an amazing plan, just as he had an amazing plan for David. With his love and his spirit to guide us, we are his agents through whom he's going to change this world. He's going to make Jesus the heart of South Sea. But we need to step forward and we need to accept that anointing. We need to be ready and open our hearts. So that's what we're going to do now. Let's, uh, let's stand and um, we're going to get ready for some music in a moment. But let's stand and uh, if you'd like to open your hands, because that's just a helpful thing to do if we're going to accept this anointing from God then we want to be ready to accept it. It's just a a visual, physical thing that we can do. Let's open our hands and let me pray for us all. Lord Jesus, we pray that you would anoint us afresh. Anoint us with your Holy Spirit that we might serve you in all of our lives and reflect your love out into this world. Come now, Lord. Come and open our hearts to your love that we might know where our true value lies. Not in the external things that surround us, but in the love that you have for us. Lord, as we accept this love, help us to show that love this love to others that they may know that they are loved and valued by you too. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.